Today's reading comes from John 4, verses 7 through 15. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and this well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. All right, thank you, Liz. Well, hello, everyone. Great to see you there. Little, uh, little, little background noise there going on to maybe to, in, you know, increase the authority, power. But I don't know. Scott's on that, I'm sure. Thanks, Scott, for doing this. Man in the AV. So are you figuring that out? Um, I don't even know what that's called, but whatever it is. Um, well, great to have all of you here in person and outside. And, uh, and great to have you here online. It's so good to join all of us just to, together, to be together in worship and um, to gather and to spend time. Um, I'll just keep talking for a minute. I'm obviously, yeah, figured, they're figuring it out. Um, I will, though, use, I actually considered whether or not to say this um, or not, but uh, we um, would love to invite, if you're um, tech savvy or you know anything about soundboards or kind of AV and things like that, would love to invite you to join that team. We talked about last week, if you have index fingers, you can, um, you know, help, help out with the PowerPoint and things like that. But, um, but this time, uh, you need more than that. You need more than index fingers. But yeah, I just would love to have you serve and, and help in that way. It'd be great because we have a bunch of different folks um, who are serving. But obviously, as we, you know, transition to a new spot and things like that, um, It'd be helpful. So, again, let's just uh, gather in here together and uh, and get into our time together in, um, in in John, John chapter four. And so, go ahead and turn with me there if you have a copy of God's Word with you. We're in John four verses one through forty-two. So we're covering a huge section of Scripture together this evening. And if I do say morning, it's for you online. It's because we love you and are thinking of you as well. And, um, and I know outside too, Alex did this last week, but definitely give a little shout out to all you folks out there. Um, I will say though, uh, kids, listen to my voice of authority, that playground is off limits right now. Hopefully next week it will not be. It's not because we're lame and don't want to have fun. It's because the thing uh, is not fully done yet. Because a whole bunch of us, I know Ethan here and some others were here earlier today doing a, a work day here at Mission Church alongside them. And that there's a bus out back. Um, and, we, and it might not look like it's any different than last week, but it is. It's actually facing the other direction. And here's the deal. We didn't just lift it and flip it. And we also, it 
doesn't even have an engine, I don't think. So we definitely didn't start it and drive it. We pushed it back, did like a three-point, multiple-point turn, pushed it back. Um, I had blue all over me. I might even still a little bit. And not that I want to look any more like a Smurf than I do already. So, um, so anyway, well, I'm just going to keep talking now as we get into our time in the Word. This, this sound in the background, whatever, it can come and go, but God's Word endures forever. Amen? All right. So here's where we're headed. There's a lot to cover, right? 42 verses. And the big idea, as it always is, what we get to see through this, for some um, famous and well-known interaction of the Samaritan woman, and I would even say, though, it's better for us to understand it is Jesus and the Samaritan woman. And the big idea is that we see Jesus, Okay, that we would look at Jesus, that we would see him more clearly. And here's what I want us to understand is this, okay? God is love. And Jesus is God. As we look to Jesus, we see love. Okay, so I'm going to give you the five points of love that we're going to walk through in this time that we will see, that we'll understand together. Okay, and by the way, to get my info, that's good. Whatever we're doing now, so if that means I'm off or whatever, that's okay. But let's, yeah, let's just keep it where we're at. So yeah, thank you guys. Let's thank them. Let's give them a round of applause. Don't clap too loud. It might mess it up. All right, no, just kidding. That's a good job. Thank you. So here it is, okay? Five aspects of love that we see in Jesus interacting with this woman, a Samaritan woman that he meets at a well, okay? And it's that love pursues, love crosses boundaries, love provides, Okay, love confronts, and then love empowers. So again, I want us to see Jesus in his radical love, and in response to his love toward us, we can then be sent out like this woman, empowered to live lives of love. So let's pray together as we ask him to oversee our time in his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you that, that um, Lord, that you are good, that you are here with us, that you are overseeing our time right now, even through your Holy Spirit. God, that as your word is opened and preached through, through an imperfect man, um, Lord, and, and, and you use by your same spirit, you open all of our hearts and our ears and our eyes to see you more clearly, and Lord, to be sent out as your people. And if there's anyone here online or anyone here in person who's never trusted in you personally, I pray that, that they will see you clearly. Lord Jesus, that they will see your pursuing love, and then they will respond in faith. And Lord, again, for all of us, I pray that we will leave here changed, changed by your love and, 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 and empowered to live lives of love that we can't do on our own, that we grow frustrated when we try to love our neighbor as ourselves. We can't do it. But, but through your pursuing love, your perfect love, Lord, we can in turn live lives of love as we respond to you in faith. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. All right, pick up with me here in chapter 4 of John, verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples did, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. Now, I just want to briefly recognize here for a moment, okay, as we understand Jesus's pursuing love, that Jesus prioritizes people, 
All right, always. If you see there in the first three verses some kind of a theological debate, a theological argument is going on, and Jesus doesn't even dignify that. Right? He, now, theology is important. Hopefully, if you've been around redemption for a long time or even in our time so far this, mo- this evening, you, you can see that we prioritize theology. We walk through the liturgy, what God's people do when they gather together for worship, that as Sarah walked us through, and, and Sarah, you're doing a great job. Thank you. I know you're trying to tell us otherwise, but we appreciate you. And so Sarah really um, so adequately walked us through this important part every week of our confession of sin and then the assurance of God's grace toward us that we can stand in, 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 in favor before him and in confidence before him. So theology is massively important, but theological controversy and theological argument and debate, we see what Jesus thinks about it often. He tries to get tripped up by it and he just pieces out. And that's even like what he does here right now. He doesn't even dignify by hanging around and he could obviously quickly put everyone in their place and say, listen, you're arguing over John the Baptist, over my disciples. And we already talked about that last week, but Jesus just goes. But his pursuing love, we see that that he he has what we might even understand as a divine appointment. Okay, he, he, is, he is chasing after um, a, an appointment that he has. He's going to meet with somebody that, 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 um, that he's trusting that the Spirit is guiding him, that the Father has a plan for him to go and to meet with someone. And so he doesn't get caught up in this stuff. Again, he prioritizes and cares more about people than about entering into this theological debate with the Pharisees who now see him as more popular than John the Baptist. He's like, I'm going to go meet with this woman. We see his pursuing love, even right here, by he leaves. And then we see that he crosses boundaries. Okay, pick up with me now in verses four through seven. And he had to pass through Samaria. So um, other people often would not pass through this place. They would go around Samaria because they didn't, they didn't get along with the Samaritans. Okay, Jewish people would not even dignify this this area would not even dignify Samaria by walking through it. They would go around it. But we see that again, Jesus prioritizes people over these kind of controversies. And so we see that he had to go through there. So he was the shorter path between point A and point B was to go through Samaria. So Jesus had to go through for that point. But, but most people didn't. Most Jewish rabbis like Jesus wouldn't have gone through this way. But again, Jesus had to because he is pursuing a relationship. He's pursuing a person. So when he had to pass through Samaria, verse five, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. And it was about the sixth hour a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And then in parentheses there, you probably see, right? Because Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So right there in these short few verses, we see the boundary crossing love of Jesus on display. Okay, first of all, there's geography. 
Okay, he's crossing geogra- geographical boundaries to get there, to go and, and, to, and, to, and to walk through this place. And in, in his meeting with this woman, he's crossing that boundary. He's also crossing ethnic boundaries, right? In verse nine, she says, a Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Now, if you're not familiar with this, very briefly, the Samaritans were conquered by the um, um, Assyrian uh, empire. And the Assyrians, when they would conquer, they would, they would, they would, they would synchronize. So, um, so, so, so they would intermarry and they would also kind of have interfaith. And so you would kind of um, add, add what you wanted and take away what you wanted. Let me just briefly acknowledge what probably is the most dominant religion of our day, I would say, is a syncretistic religion. Well, I like this from here. I like this from here. And ultimately, if we're honest with ourselves, when we're doing that, we are God. We are the authority, and we're picking and choosing what we want to believe and not believe. And as we'll see all throughout John, Jesus doesn't give that option. He is loving, as we see very clearly here this evening, but he is so loving that he doesn't just let us believe these things. But he's, that also, though, doesn't mean that he just cancels her, that he just hides her off. Well, you're a different religion altogether. He's pursuing her. So he's crossing geographical boundaries, ethnic boundaries, religious, again, syncretism, religious boundaries, even morality and reputation. If you see there, we see in verse 17 and 18, for example, the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. For what you have said is true. And we'll get into this a bit more there for a moment, but either way, the fact that, like we saw there up there earlier um, in in verse 6, the last part of it, it was about the sixth hour. It was like noon. It was, it was the afternoon, the hottest time of the day. And the fact that she's there alone by herself in the hottest part of the day gives some, some idea that she was somewhat of a social outcast. And again, we'll hit on that more because it might, sometimes in this, the even, let me even see. Okay, in the ESV Bible, it does say Jesus and the woman of Samaria. For some of us, it just says the Samaritan womb woman. And the main point becomes, oh, well, she's a woman of ill repute, right? She made bad decisions and she's isolated and all these things. That may or may not be the case, all right? But either way, there is a social boundary Jesus is crossing. First of all, that she's a woman. There's a gender boundary. A respected Jewish rabbi would not talk to a a, um, woman of Samaria either way. But again, there's something about her reputation, something about her socially that has her isolated and alone at this well. And Jesus breaks down all those doors. He plows through all of those boundaries. And then lastly, we know that this woman is poor. All right. She's experienced social tragedy on some level. Either way, the fact that she's had that many husbands, it could be some common to Peter think it could just be that, that, that she just had terrible luck. That in that day, you would marry very young and, and the life expectancy was not that great. So if, if your husband died, you would hopefully marry another man. And some think maybe she had a couple divorces, but also maybe she 
um, had that much tragedy and, and that many husbands passed away. Okay, but either way, she's very poor. The fact that she's carrying her own jar, likely on her head, is a sign of poverty. So again, there are all these boundaries. And Jesus, in his pursuing love, goes right through these boundaries. He breaks through them. And he ultimately does that in order to provide. All right, so love pursues, love crosses boundaries, love provides. Look with me now in, uh, in verse 12 here. In fact, I'll just read verses 10 through 14 and then um, f- focus in on verse 12. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and I would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Then look here in verse 12, what Jesus says, or what she says, are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So in verse 12 there, on some level, this woman reveals what she's trusting in. Okay, and she also mentions being with, or Jesus calls her out on being um, with another man to whom she plans to get married. And so on some level, her hope is likely there. Like, well, once I get another husband, maybe this one won't die or we won't get divorced or whatever the backstory is there. This will provide for her. This will meet her need. But also her answer to him in verse 12 is a theological answer, right? She tries to bring Jesus in like the Pharisees did that he left from into another theological debate. And in our context, we've been talking about this a lot lately. I want us to acknowledge that sometimes we, we can miss God for theology. All right, we can get so caught up in, well, my righteousness is in the fact that I understand this theological nuance more than this other group. I go to redemption church. We are a reformed church. We are a Bible-believing church. Whatever kind of theology you want to you wanna fill in. And because we're such a theologically driven and oriented church, I feel all the more responsibility to make it clear to us that won't meet our needs. Okay, that gives us no more right standing before God than the Samaritans in our life who we think we have it figured out so much better than them. But this woman is so used to, oh, well, Jews don't deal with Samaritans and we have this theology and they have this theology. And here she is face to face with Jesus and Jesus blows all those boundaries away and reveals what will ultimately provide. And it's himself. Okay, he doesn't enter into this theological trap. And I just want to even maybe acknowledge for a moment us to consider what are ways that you might even have theological walls up that are keeping you from the heart of God, from understanding the real provision that God wants to give through his son alone, through faith in him, a relationship, an identity, a purpose that is like this well that will never run dry because anything else we run to for life will ultimately not satisfy, will ultimately fail us, will ultimately leave us thirsting for more. 
Okay, so Jesus provides, right? He says, I will give you water. I will provide for your deepest needs in life that will never fail. I will give it to you in such a way that wherever you find yourself, you, your needs will be met. You will be secure. And I want to acknowledge right now, church, for those of you at home, I don't know what you're going through, what you've been going through for the last number of weeks, where you are right now, what's going on in your family, in your life, in your community. I know when we see in this woman, life is really, really difficult. And Jesus doesn't dismiss the difficulty that we're facing, but he knows that through faith in him, somehow we can stand firmly on a foundation that ultimately will never fail, that ultimately will never run dry, that we can join in the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, when he says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. That's not dismissing anything else, but it's saying in comparison to to God's provision for me, for my family, for my deepest needs, for my identity, for my purpose, for my relationships, all of it is counted as loss in comparison to what God has given me in and through Jesus. So what happens when you lose what you've already counted as loss? You can still grieve, right? Whatever it is, a job, a finances, even the closest relationships we have, perhaps, right? That doesn't mean that we don't weep, that it's not difficult and tragic, that it's not sad, but it also means that in comparison to Christ, if it was counted as loss anyway, then we're still left somehow secure in him, drinking from his well that always satisfies, that will not fail, that will not run dry. Jesus's love is a providing kind of love. And because it's a real love, hear me now, it's also a confronting love, right? Jesus loves her too much to just kind of move on and skirt things under the rug and just pretend like what she's entrusting her life to isn't going to ultimately leave her wanting more. No, he confronts it. He calls it out. He dives below the surface. All right, look with me now. I'm going to read this whole section. There's 10 verses here, verses 16 through 26. And right now, okay, this is what I want us to see as we read through this. I want us to see God's, Jesus's tender love and simultaneously his confronting love. Because sometimes we think, well, I thought you were nice right? So why are you calling out this thing? Why are you bringing this to bear? Why are you not allowing me to continue to wallow in my sin? Because he loves us too much, he confronts. He's kind and tender and confronting. Okay, so let's just read these verses together, verses 16 through 26. Jesus said to her, go and call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, sir, I I perceive perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that that Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Again, a theological 
smoke screen, right? God, you're doing this right now. You're pursuing me. You're revealing my heart. You're confronting sin. You're confronting the sin that will lead me astray right now, that will lead me to greater wanting, to greater sadness. Uh, what about this over here? Let me, let me do this. Let me jump through these kind of theological hoops. Let me bring you into this. Let me do this for you, God. And right, he blows right through it. He loves too much. He continues to confront. See, when he says here, and Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here. By the way, Jesus is Jewish. So their salvation is from the Jews. God provided through the Jewish people, not just for the Jewish people, but for the whole world, right? We saw that in John chapter three, verse 16, right? For the whole world, God had the whole mind, but it was through the Jewish people because Jewish was, Jesus was born into a Jewish family, right? So you're right in saying this. The hour is coming where... The true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. He's calling her to a real faith. In spirit and in truth. You can't over-theologize right? When, you're, when, you're, when your faith is in something over here, you can't do this. When, he's, when it's in spirit and in truth, when it is real, when push comes to shove, your faith is revealed and exposed. That's what Jesus cares about here with this woman. Church, let me tell you, that's what he cares about for you and for me. It's not whatever smoke screens we can bring up, not whatever we post on social media, not what we do, but what's going on on our heart level below the surface, where are we entrusting ourselves? Where is our identity found? Where is our purpose found? What informs and defines and shapes our lives? And that will be, sh that will be revealed, as we even talked about last week, that will show up in everywhere else, in every other relationship, in every other decision we, we make, in every way we treat other people. And Jesus cares so much that he confronts this woman. Now, again, let me just briefly say, he confronts us. All of us in this room have sins that we've committed and sins that have been committed against us. I'm not going to take too much time here breaking this down. But again, in a lot of the different commentaries I've read, my conclusion is that this Samaritan woman is a picture of every single one of us in this room, perhaps some more than others, who have been sinned against greatly. And perhaps, as is often the case, when we're, there's a phrase, hurt people, hurt people, right? If you've been hurt, often what we do with that hurt is we hurt others out of self-preservation, out of self-protection. And often, most, most ultimately, what we do is we hurt ourselves, and I think this woman, whether the emphasis should be on she's made a bunch of bad decisions, she's been, she's been promiscuous, she's been out, and sometimes, again, you hear that and you see that, and that's the emphasis, or, it's, or it could be on she's just been uh, oppressed, she has suffered greatly. I think both are true on some level, but the main point is, either way, as people who have been sinned against, we are all still sinful people. 
And Jesus loves us too much to just stay on the surface. He confronts, he dives deep, he goes below the surface and he calls out whatever we're entrusting ourselves to. That first song that we sang about idols, right? Broken gods that ultimately will splinter us. And and yeah, we don't have like physical little gods that when we pick up to, I don't know what you would do, you know, snuggle them and worship them, you would get a splinter. But is that not true? Whatever we entrust ourselves to, whatever idol, whatever false god we orient our lives around will ultimately make us bleed, will ultimately harm us in some way. And Jesus is confronting, listen, you are finding your identity and your purpose. You, you think it's in Jacob's well. You think it's in your next husband. That will ultimately fail. But Jesus says to her and to you and to me, I will never fail you. As he says in Hebrews 13, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And what he does with this kind of love when we understand his confronting, pursuing, providing, boundary-crossing love, it is also an empowering love. Look what happens to her in response to Jesus' love. This is the last point as we see her now in verse 28. Okay, so his disciples came back and they're, they're, they're confused, but look what, she, what happens to her, right? The disciples come back. She doesn't even hang around to see what Jesus says about her to his, his disciples or any of this. So the woman left her water jar, right? That's the whole point she went there to begin with, was to get water. But she left her water jar and went away into a town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. And then all the way down, we see that the result of this was faith, was tons of people coming to faith in Jesus. All of these Samaritans down there in verses 39 through 42, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Whatever happened in her life, whether it was bad decisions that she made or harm that was done to her, this woman, hear me, and how might this be true for us? This woman went from social outcast, from social recluse to bold evangelist. Okay, again in this day, I don't want to skip over the fact that women, much less a Samaritan woman, much less a poor Samaritan woman, much less a poor Samaritan woman who had lost multiple husbands, however she lost them, and now was with a man who was no longer her husband. This is not the idea that people would have for the, 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 the types of folks that God would use to gather in his people, to build his kingdom. But that's the kind of God that we worship. That's the true God of the Bible, Amen. So church, I just want to ask us to consider, right? Where have we not seen Jesus's radical love? Where have we not understood about ourselves or perhaps about others in the world around us that his love is pursuing, is boundary crossing? What boundaries might he have crossed to reach us? Some of you guys know my story and the family I was raised in. He crossed boundaries, What kind of boundaries now might he be calling us, you and me and us corporately to cross, to share his gospel with others, right? To be in relationship and community with others. He has a pursuing love, a boundary crossing love, a providing love, ultimately satisfying, fulfilling, 
providing. He meets our deepest needs that only he can meet. And then he confronts. His love is confronting and his love is ultimately empowering. So let's now turn and respond to him in prayer and in worship, all the more in awe of his incredible love that because he first loved us, we now can love him and love our neighbor as ourselves. Let's pray together. Again, Father, um, you are good. You know our deepest needs. Lord, you love us too much to allow us to settle for whether it be theological band-aids or, Lord, any other kind of water that we try to drink to quench our thirst. Lord, you, I, I pray that if there's anyone here in love, I pray that you will expose, Lord, that that, that only leaves us more thirsty. If there's anyone here who has found satisfaction in anything other than you because it will ultimately fail, I pray that it will fail now. And Lord, I, I, I pray that, that we will all, whether it's for the very first time or Lord, just a, a, again and again, that we will respond in love because you first loved us. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.